I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Palawa people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I find sharing something with someone else who understands and who really appreciates, you know, the beauty of what you're having, it, it sort of builds that whole experience even more. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Recently on Over a Glass, you heard the dulcet tones of Navsing. Today, I have his partner in crime, the ying to his yang, and the wildly talented Louise Radman. Louise is the director of Brad Public, Domain Simha Wines, Sud Polaire Spirits, and Institute Polaire. She has over 20 years experience in the wine and luxury goods sector and a career that would make your eyes water with delight. Hi Lou, thanks for joining me. <laughs> Hello, thanks for having me. It's so nice to have you on and, and especially as a follow-up because there's way too much going in the lives of you and Nav to just, you know, only hear from him. So thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Oh, you're so welcome. Lou, take me a little back to your, your childhood as a little Louise. What did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> Funny, I always wanted to be an architect. So, yeah, I always, I guess, was quite creative and liked building things. Well, you have built a lot of things, maybe not in terms of a big structure, but in terms of a business and and the mindset and the creative talent that you have. Do you have a first memory of beverages or wine that kind of impacted you in going forward into your career? Uh, Not so much. I guess I didn't really come from a wine background. It was more something I fell into after school. Uh, I was looking around at what I should do for my career at university and a friend in the year above me had studied wine marketing and so that was one of the options that I popped down on my choices and so it, it all stemmed from there I guess. These days, you know, there's so many avenues for people to um, develop their skills and university is just one of those. Did you find, you know, your bachelor degree in wine marketing useful to what you do today? I do find it helpful uh, just to have that sound grounding that you do get in terms of having a university qualification. But I would say most of my practical knowledge that I use has been gained just throughout the many different jobs I've had in my career through, you know, hospitality as well as, you know, writing and doing so many tasting and things like that. So it's it's a combination of both. And along the way uh, through your bachelor degree, was there a point where you kind of went, oh, I'm marketing this product wine and it's kind of cool. Was there a moment where you realised that what you were doing had some perks? <laughs> Quite early on, I would say, Shante. I mean, it's it's such a wonderful community that we have built around wine. You know, it's very social. It's very friendly. I find it to be very collaborative and, you know, a, a typical day when I might have been, say, sommelier at the Hyatt or something like that, you know, we'd be invited to amazing places all around the world to view their incredible vineyards and sites and you're going to dinners and eating at some of these amazing restaurants and and seeing people whose other passion is food and things that are you know always paired with wine so you're always around people that are passionate and creative and it, you know, it's a good time. It definitely is. Walk me through how you kind of went about, 
you know, after your degree finished at the University of Adelaide, what was the next step for you? I didn't really plan my career as such. It, it was more of a, a series of happenstances, I suppose you would say. So, while I was studying after a couple of years, I uh, needed to do some work. So, I started working at the Hyatt as a sommelier and I just, it's in my nature to go hard at everything I do. I can't sort of hold back. I have to go full force. And I guess I, I just tried my best to do whatever I could and achieve as much as I can. And, you know, my passion was really um, rewarded by the GM who was there at the time. And I was promoted to uh, buyer and manager. I was buying all of the wines for hot- for the hotel. Then I was doing all of the purchasing for everything, not just wine. Uh, and I did that for seven years and, and it was amazing career. And I learned so much through hire and getting to travel to different hotels hotels you know I worked in for a short time in Beijing I got to visit other hotels all over the world and really understand a lot about wine uh, while I was doing that Um, it was quite some time ago in Adelaide I guess the Hyatt was sort of a leading light in terms of hospitality and food and beverage at that time and I was quite young in my position and Also, uh, being a woman, it was a little bit unusual at that time. And so, I started to get invited to judge at wine shows or, you know, be present at different events and things like that. So, I just started expanding out more and more in my career. And then I was asked to write, you know, to contribute to a story about something. So, I started uh, freelance writing for the advertiser in the first place. Uh, then I went on to be the writer for the Adelaide magazine. So my career just sort of expanded outwards into all things wine related. I started uh, working on um, developing course materials for uh, Regency College at the time. So I worked on the curriculum for Swiss hotel schools and it was sort of like everyone in the town who sort of you know, would come to me and ask, can you help us with this? You know, can you look at that? I started taking on some clients and looking at their wines and advising on marketing and branding. So, it all just sort of grew from there. Man, you really, you know, epitomise that person that kind of says yes to giving everything a go because I think, you know, back then, like you said, you had to forge your own way and, and find the avenues that worked for you, but you seem to have picked up and just taken the ball and rolled with it with everything you've done, which is amazing because when I, when I look at all the things you've achieved, it's so widespread. The net is huge and you think kind of how does somebody do all of that? But um, I think it has a lot to do with your attitude and, and also, you know, obviously somebody that is, you know, incredibly talented and, and, and capable. <laughs> yeah, it, it could be a downfall in a way, but I'm just, I'm always looking for the next thing. I always want to do something new, something creative, and I, I just can't stop myself, really. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a very good thing. There, I want to talk a little bit about, you gave 10 years to Sommelier's Australia National Executive Committee. Tell me about the experience of Sommelier's Australia when you were involved. Oh, I mean, 
it was really in its infancy when I was there. I know uh, Ben and Dan had got some things going in uh, Melbourne and Sydney and they were looking really to create a legitimately national organisation. So they gave me a call one day and said, look, we want to bring South Australia into the fold. Can you help? Um, So, you know, it was just from the grounds up. So we started doing, you know, little tastings. There was about eight to ten of us and we would just gather and, you know, like the Exeter Hotel or different venues around the place at the time and I would have brought together a bunch of different wines that we were excited about, you know, older Rieslings or, you know, things from Madeira or Burgundies or just whatever was floating everyone's boat and and things to get all of the young kids excited about wine and, um, you know, just to further our own thirst for knowledge and our own drive and I can't believe actually that I did all of that at that time. <laughs> I guess you have a lot of energy when you're young but so it, it started like that you know and then and then from time to time I'd travel over to Sydney or Melbourne and we started running educational events and and then um, the hookup with Assie started so that we could start getting proper sommelier qualifications in Australia and that sort of thing. I mean, when I was a SOM, there wasn't a legitimate qualification in Australia that you could get to say, actually, yes, I'm accredited. Uh, so, so that was one of the driving factors behind Sommeliers Australia was to uh, legitimise careers in hospitality and to for young people to see that the roles could be rewarding and rewarded as such. Today we see um, a lot of sommeliers or budding hospitality professionals utilise things like Sommeliers Australia, but I don't always think we see as many people um, giving back to those bodies. I mean, Sommeliers Australia is a non-for-profit um, industry association. It's really the national body for Sommeliers Australia, um, you know, around the country. And I and I think, you know, uh, it's wonderful that these were established, but it's wonderful to remember that they were established by people that just put in their time because they were willing. So, you know, in terms of how it's run today, um, what's the benefit of people of getting involved and, and, and putting in their time? Oh, look, I think it's incredibly worthwhile and it it would be, I mean, it is supported by the wine industry uh, quite well, but it it really needs more. You know, you have a few passionate individuals who are really driving the program and it would be nice if more of the younger kids um, could be supported, you know, financially uh, to be able to undertake programs and to be able to you know, increase the level of skills throughout Australia. I totally agree. And it it does tend to be a handful of people when you say that. It's the same names all the time that are always doing the hard yards and putting in their extra hours outside of huge jobs. And, um, yeah, and it's pretty unfair. So I have to say, you know, a big shout-out to Smellies Australia and what they do to support the industry. And you should get involved if you've got any kind of interest. Just ask what you can do or go to smelliers.com.au and there's lots of information on there for you. So I, I thank you for talking about that because I haven't kind of reached out to anyone to, to discuss that yet. And with your 10 years experience, um, I think that's the first time I met you was actually through something uh, along those lines when I was, you know, like – bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and had absolutely no idea what I was doing. So thank you for all the time you've put in. I also want to talk about the uh, long-standing member of the Board of Directors of Wine Communicators of Australia. 
what role does and, and importance does an organized like organization organization like that have um, in Australia? Oh, look, I mean, I think um, it, basically it's promoting the professionalism of wine and people talking about wine, people writing about wine, people communicating in all different mediums about wine. So, you know, it's incredibly helpful to the wine community in order to have people of that calibre who are brought up and who are, you know, learning and telling the stories about people who are day-to-day in the job, on the vineyard, in the winery, you know, creating things from their their heart and their soul and their passion and bringing that more directly to consumers. And, they, yeah, they work so much with, um, you know, mentor programs and, and I think, you know, they really kind of break down all the different roles that there are. You know, there's not just one or two. It's not a decision to be a sommelier or a winemaker. There are so many different facets that you can get involved in and utilise different skills. And I think they shine such a good light on that aspect of everything too, don't they? Oh, it's absolutely true. And there are just so many different mediums now. (laughs) So there's many and many more diverse ways to communicate, which is fascinating and inspiring for the future. Of all the various experiences that you have had, was there one role that you think really shaped kind of your ethics and principles for kind of how you go about business when it came down to you opening your own businesses? Oh, it's interesting. I I think probably my time at Hyatt, just because I was so young at the time, it was quite formative for me. And, you know, it's, it's a little old-fashioned now, that idea of putting the customer first, but of really that genuine sense of hospitality. And that's something with uh, Institute Polaire that we really try to have in the foreground is is being welcoming, you know, like we try to deliver service at the highest possible level that we can. But at the same time, we want our business and our venues to be relaxed and for people to have fun and be cool. But at the same time, you have that confidence that, you know, everything under the surface is going like clockwork and there are systems in place to make sure things are happening the way that they should be. Um, So I would say that was really formative for me. Um, There are some other things when I was younger, like I was um, lucky enough to be awarded the Daniel Pontifex Scholarship, which was a travel bursary. And I was able to travel around, you know, the great wine regions of the world, predominantly in France, but also in northern Italy and other areas. And that being able to do that quite early in my career really shaped some of my ideas around wine and what was out there. And you know, I later sometimes would be at dinners or events with quite much elder and highly respected people in the wine trade at the time and some of the things that they just had no understanding or idea about because they hadn't had that opportunity to travel was sometimes a bit shocking to me. But I was really lucky to be able to, you know, take advantage of programs like that and, um 
and yeah, the place that I had been working for such a long time that really just did have very high standards in terms of service and quality. Yeah, and it's so interesting to see how different countries operate and and perhaps what they do differently to us and what they do well, perhaps what we are stronger at. And it's great to be an outsider looking in and asking questions, isn't it? It is amazing, you know. I mean, I I remember I did a little stage at – Gordon Ramsay at Royal Hospital Road in Chelsea and and the sommelier was Ronan Sabin who, you know, went on to win Sommelier du Monde and, you know, I was just a kid at that time and I wasn't actually allowed to do anything. I was only allowed to follow him around. <laughs> but I got to taste some amazing wines. Like I, we, he opened a 61 Cheryl Blanc and, you know, and we would decant these wines and try them and it, that it's just this moment of crystallisation in your mind where you remember this wine that takes you to a place on a hillside and, you know, it's got such incredible provenance and presence and to me that's the most compelling thing about wine. So being able to have those experiences is is just amazing, you know. I, I remember standing in the vineyard at Milton in New Zealand and watching the sunrise being the first vineyard that the sun hits in the southern hemisphere in the world and and just thinking how amazing it was and being at Zinhumbrecht where, you know, the winemaker told me that some of his ferments keep ticking on over for a year and, and having come from a technical background, you know, in wine assessment, I was like, this is crazy. But then the more and more I stood in his vineyard and he explained to me about, you know, how the vines should gain their natural equilibrium, how he doesn't want to cut them right back, how, you know, all of those things about having a light touch and taking things back to the old ways, you know. And and those are the things that I got to learn by travelling to these different places and, and really just shaped my, I guess, my understanding and, and really made me want to pass that on to our customers and, and our brand as well. I think it's so interesting because exactly what you said, that you have these amazing opportunities to travel. But, you know, a lot of people think it's just going to a country and drinking wine or whatever. But what they don't realize is that it's so much work to get there. And then you desperately want to do so much work to try and, um, you know, resonate that that story of those people. So you end up putting a lot of work in to remember the details, to formulate a story when you get back, to share it. So it is, you know, it's it's um, what makes it all worth it, but it also is also a big job as well, isn't it? It is true. It is true. I have to say it was a lot easier being a SOM than a wine writer because as a SOM, you just had to go back and buy a few cases of wine. <laughs> but, but as a writer, you had to take copious notes and, and then weave together a story, you know, and and that was, for me, that was a lot of work because I was very fastidious and very particular in the way that I was writing. Um, but it's also, you know, part of the joy of it. And sometimes it doesn't have to be too technical. Like I think as well that the people and the winemaker and the culture of a place is a really important part of the wine. It's not just the site or the techniques. I think those elements that you have of the human touch 
much around the ideas behind the wine are, you know, equally as important. And those are the things that you get when you can sit down and drink with people, you know. You're, you're totally right. And and facts and, and technical details uh, you can note down, but trying to encapsulate the feelings and the the personalities is something totally different, but um, I can imagine you being a totally um, detailed, like you said, fastidious person when it comes to all of that. <laughs> but I-, I was, I was. I remember I had Judy Sarah's constantly calling me going, where's your copy? You're, you know, we're on deadline, we're late. <laughs> it's not perfect yet. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about uh, the vision of Institute Polaire in particular, but, you know, we talked to Nav earlier about Domain Simmar and how that kind of got going. How did you then, like you said, start to branch out to a wine bar, um, an incredible set and release of spirits? um, And where did that all kind of begin? Oh, look, I I don't know. These things just sort of happen because I start to get bored. I I mean, I guess originally we moved to Tasmania um, because Nav was working so much in Burgundy and Bordeaux and I was based in Sydney at the time and we'd actually been married for almost seven years and not been living in the same country. And we had a great time, you know, catching up all over the world but at some point you just want to do something together um he really wanted to make finer wine so we didn't want a warm climate he was really into burgundy and pinot noir as we both were and i was lucky enough to be invited on a media trip to tasmania and I came to Tasmania and it was just like mind blown. Hello, like this is the ultimate landscape. And I, I went back and I said, oh, my God, Nav, we have got to move to Tasmania. And it was the perfect opportunity for he, he by that time had wanted to start, you know, forging his own path, making the wines of his own vision and being in the cool climate and just having that perfect terroir, being able to do things naturally without, you know, the various climate challenges that you have in many areas around the world. So we came here um, and just as is my natural want, I start looking around for more and more things to do. Uh, so I I got started getting interested in spirits. You know, there was a, a – a significant whiskey industry at the time, not nearly as big as it is now, but it was really interesting to me. And, you know, I had started Sommeliers Australia down here as well. We were doing tastings. I was seeing a lot of spirits come through and I just started to get excited about the idea of gin. Uh, and And I thought, you know, there was, you know, there was the regular bigger brands that you get all over the world, but there wasn't so much of that artisan culture that we have now that's really exploded. And I was like, you know, I think we can do this. So I went out and having tasted hundreds of wines and spirits over the last five or six years, I just had a natural affinity for it. And we, so we started off Sud Polaire and the idea 
was uh, South Pole uh, and embracing that heritage that Tasmania has as a gateway to Antarctica. The reason being that we had moved here for the cool climate. So we really wanted to celebrate that fact about Tasmania. And I similarly wanted to make a style of spirit that was very pure, very clean, very pristine. Um, I'm a purist at heart. So that link with that Antarctic environment was, you know, interesting and aspirational for me. So uh, we started Sudpalaya around that story, I guess. Uh, And then in in thinking a lot of gins are called London Dry and I was like, well, what, why should it be London Dry? That's not really appropriate for us. And so we called our Sudpalaya Antarctic Dry uh, because Antarctica is the coldest, windiest, uh, driest place on earth. Uh, so we thought that was very fitting and we now have a signature drink called the uh, Sudpalaya Antarctic Dry Martini. Uh, so, if you come to Tasmania, you have to come and try it. <laughs> um, but we st- So, we started making spirits and, and that went on for a couple of years uh, and, you know, and then we had all of these spirits, we had bitters, we had wine and we didn't really have a place to showcase them. Uh, so, that's when we opened Institute Polaire, again, the idea being celebrating that cooler climate, being able to showcase, you know, all of the wares that we had made in, in an area that was pretty centrally located in just near the waterfront that people could access. Uh, but it was also important to me to be able to have a genuinely good you know, wine list that did reflect, you know, our vision and our passion from wines all over the world and not just our own product. So I think that's something that I'm most proud of with Institute Polaire that we really do have quite a singular vision. And it's an award-winning wine list um, that has, you know, just been thrown into the spotlight. What's the importance of, you know, supporting kind of Tasmania's economy and, and, and serving wines from Tasmania? Oh, thank you. Well, I I mean, I think it's always important to support local. Uh, A lot of what we do is based around, you know, really small local growers and producers and and it's just what's best, you know. If you look at food culture all over the world, you know, it's the things that you find locally that are freshest, that are in season, that are, you know, some of them things that you haven't seen before, like, you know, Tasmanian pepperberry or kombu that we're using in our spirits and things like that. And um, to me, it's just part of building community and building, you know, relationships and you know, if people come to Tasmania, those are the things also that they're interested in experiencing. So why wouldn't we want to showcase that? I love that because I, I, it is such an incredible community down there and the support that you feel from your wine bar is really tangible. Uh, just a note on the Sudpalaire Antarctic Dry Gin. The first time I tried that, um, I kind of described it as drinking an icicle um, because it was so pure and so refreshing and clean and 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 clean was something that I kept coming back to I was like you know yes there's all these vapor infused botanicals and it's triple distilled but it was just 
it was like looking at a snowflake. It was so crystalline. And I was like, man, if that is not the most refreshing gin martini you're ever going to have, you know, and I, and now you have, oh, I mean, you've got the crew, um, the crew gin, the saffron gin, you've got your rare cast gin and you've got a whiskey coming out. Is that right? That's right. That's right. I am just working on the packaging right now. So the whiskey has been happily in barrel for some years. Uh, I, I think I've mellowed a little bit over time. I'm a lot more organic in my approach to things these days. So uh, it will be coming out this year. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to hearing all about that. When it's ready, though, you know, sometimes you can't rush these things and uh, your marketing of everything has been so amazing so far. So I don't doubt it's going to look amazing. But, uh, you know, when I first um, went to the wine bar, I did think, gosh, this reminds me of, um, I don't know if it's like a Bonds movie or, you know, where they're in those kind of um, South Pole looking all kind of ice houses, but not naff, you know, and there's those bars where everything's made of ice and you have to get dressed up and it's kind of naff. Whereas this just had that essence of it, but it was so beautifully done and yeah, it's gorgeous. Thank you. I really appreciate that, Shantae. I think I just am a really big fan of pairing back and purism and editing, you know. I just, I think it's important for things to you know, speak about what they're trying to showcase, but not in a way that is overdone. I I guess I'm quite a minimalist at heart. Mm. And it's confident too, because you can get caught up with um, things that just look good or just sound good. And uh, like you said, lose the true essence of what you're trying to communicate. And uh, you certainly haven't done that. Oh, thank you. It's very kind of you. (laughs) (laughs) So what is next on the horizon for you other than, you know, doing everything that you do currently about to launch a new whiskey? What's next for Louise? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I'm just always looking for different creative outlets. I have been doing a lot of interiors lately, actually. It's sort of a sidestep but still related uh, so we opened an accommodation recently called the Palais Suite so it similarly has a quite a paired back aesthetic I think it's still very comfortable you know we've got those cooler subantarctic tones and you know layers of natural wood and cotton and linen and so I've been enjoying doing a little bit more of that um, we're always working to do whatever we do, you know, to refine it, to do it better, to do it, you know, to get back to that essence of what we're trying to discover and uncover. And I and I think, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be many new or different things. It, our, our aim is really not to grow. Um, we're sold out of all of our wine right now, which, you know, people say is not a bad problem to have, but it's also a little bit problematic. <laughs> um, but, you know, our, the idea is just to stay on the path of quality and, and things that interest us. And I think we're getting to that stage where, you know, we, we, we come along to different things that we find interesting and then we'll just dive into it and, you know, who knows? 
The world certainly is your oyster, and I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, Polaire Suite turns into, you know, a, a full-blown hotel. I mean, look out Hyatt because you've, you've got everything you need. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised either. <laughs> I can actually already, in my mind's eye, picture some of the kind of aesthetics that you're talking about, and I'm already, like, frothing at the mouth because I think they'd just be so beautiful, and I, I, I want to see it, so... <laughs> Oh, that's very sweet. Well, you would be invited to come and visit us in Tasmania. <laughs> Thank you, Lou. Uh, I would love to know if you can only have three beverages for the rest of your life, what are they going to be and why? Oh, my. <laughs> I wasn't expecting this question. Uh, there are just so many things I could choose from. I am a great fan of uh, Chardonnay. Uh, so I, I would say it would have to be some great Chardonnays, really more around shape than from any particular area, although I do love Merceau and Chablis. But I, I really like wines that are very uh, taut, that have that tension of, you know, acidity and, and, and balance and have that nervy energy running right through them. So those are things that I really appreciate drinking. Um Sake is something I find really fascinating. Uh, The last few years prior to COVID, you know, we sort of felt we'd done a lot of Europe and we we started going to Japan and, um, you know, you get a lot of the similar ways of describing and and looking at and understanding uh, sake and rice wines uh, as you do in wine. So that's another thing that I find really fascinating is also a really burgeoning kind of um, product in terms of lots of smaller and young people coming into it and also starting to make styles around the world as well. So I find that really interesting. Um, I also... I, I also really enjoyed tea for some of the same reasons. Uh, so, you know, um, being able to taste the difference in flavours from where things are growing and, um, you know, how it affects, you know, the taste and the perception and just that overall general feeling of well-being and healthfulness that I I find to be more and more appreciative of as I uh, as I grow. <laughs> yeah, tea can be fascinating, and it's it's another world that you can get lost in, isn't it? When things are picked, and yeah, what season they are, and 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 what component of the leaf it may be. And I know I find myself going down those alleys sometimes and thinking, oh, what was I supposed to be doing? <laughs> But yeah, I know. And and it's fascinating. I mean, so also centuries old traditions, you know, you go back to in winemaking to Amphora and, and Georgia and all of those kinds of things. And you have the same things in tea and the way that, you know, they've smoked the leaves or dried the leaves or, yeah, it's just, it's just fascinating that human element that comes into how something is so cherished and, and, and prepared and, uh, yeah. I find it uh, fascinating and enjoyable. Yeah, and it, it is. The more fascinating, the more enjoyment you get out of it. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up a little bit about um, uh, in terms of shape when you're talking about Chardonnays because I find that, um, you know, so often words just aren't enough and trying to um, 
describe how wine makes you feel or, or the colors that it evokes or the, the, the shape on your palate. It's, there's so many ways to, to be able to describe things. And, and a lot of people do feel and um, sense in shapes. And I think it's a really good analogy for being able to describe something. I got myself in trouble the other day talking about a sphera cube and someone said, that's not a word. And I was like, well, it is, it's a cube and it's in this kind of uh, like a, a cube, a round and a cube shape. And it's, <laughs> and then I thought, my goodness, it's just me. That's completely nuts. No, that makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> I totally agree with you. Um, I guess the other thing I would say is that, you know, sometimes the company that you drink in is is also more important that, than what you're drinking. And, and it's that I find sharing something with someone else who understands and who really appreciates you know, the beauty of what you're having, it, it sort of builds that whole experience even more. Yeah, I couldn't have put it better myself. That's exactly right. Lou, it's been awe-inspiring what you're doing, what you have done and what you're yet to achieve. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. I've thoroughly loved it. Oh, thank you so much for your kind words, Shante, and you are amazing in your own right. <laughs> I can't wait till I get down there to see you next or ha- perhaps when you guys are on the road. Thank you again and best of luck with everything you've got going on and don't forget to get some sleep in there as well sometime. We won't, Shante. Come and visit Tasmania. It's the best. <laughs> I won't leave. <laughs> Cheers to you, Lou. Okay, bye. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.